Welcome everybody to this week Rethink Energy podcast where we talk about this week's stories uh, with me Peter White and the analysts Harry Morgan and Andres Wontanar and uh, our first visit is going to be uh, a little update on Hurricane Laura from uh, from Harry. Harry um, you know there's been a reduction in uh, oil output because of Hurricane Laura it's not as bad as we thought it was there's been a reduction in gas shipments to talk us through it. Yeah, so obviously Hurricane Laura kind of hit land in Louisiana on Thursday, uh, so yesterday. And in terms of renewables, which is what we normally talk about, there's very sort of little impact. I mean, but primarily because there's very little solar in Louisiana, I think less than 200 megawatts. Um, and it's one of those states that actually has no wind power. So in terms of renewables, pretty much nothing to talk about. Um, the big worry, however, was oil. Um, around half the US oil refining capacities uh, in the Gulf Coast. And normally when these get shut down, we see a big spike in oil prices. In Hurricane Katrina, for example, we saw a spike of around 30%. More recently in Hurricane Harvey in 2017, we saw 36%. But that's not really what we're seeing here. The WTI is up around half a percent at the moment um, from what it was a week ago. Uh, Brent oil is up around half of that. Uh, the reason behind that is not because oil shutting in. Um, nearly half of the oil and gas platforms in the Gulf were shut on Wednesday. Um, I think they've reopened now. But it meant that around 84% of the oil was shut in for a couple of days. And the truth is that because of COVID-19, the amount um, of oil that the US has in storage, it means that these prices just aren't that volatile based on what's happening in the market. Um, President Trump, for example, will be really keen to offload some of the nation's strategic petroleum reserve. Has any anything any news on that happened overnight? Has, has he actually done that yet? Uh, he hasn't done it yet, but it's the kind of thing where that's always there if needed. So... The market is very much aware of that and doesn't feel like it needs to panic when that um, level of reserve is there. There's also a wealth of other storage holders, which are also going to be really keen to give away their oil if the prices do spike, um, in case they're then again needed uh, for storage during a second wave of coronavirus, when again prices would plummet. Okay. So, you know, um, big hurricane off the coast of the US, but it's not going to really affect oil prices positively that much and if it does it'll be for a very short time so let's let's move on we, we're gonna go to andres next um andres the um uh, vietnam you know 17 gigawatts of coal um, plants that they're either going to delay or cancel or maybe delay then cancel um what's that effect that can i have on vietnam's ability to uh grow its electricity yeah, because uh, Vietnam is looking at uh, 8% annual growth in demand right now, which over the decade to 2030 means they need another 60 gigawatts to, uh, well, about 130 gigawatts in total. I mean, are they going to do that? I mean, I, I, you know, this is a, what is a country of about, is it 100 million, eight, 85 million people? I mean, uh, can, they, can they possibly build that much? Well, it's a good question. Uh, they'll certainly have to try. There's a risk of um, power shortages in between 2021 and 2025. So the, the 17 gigawatts that's... that uh, 9, 9.5 is cancelled entirely, uh, and that was going to come online between 2026 and 2030, and another 7.6 is being delayed past 2030 or 2035. And we, we think that probably will end up not getting built because the economics will have changed. It would be changed. insane to, to build those plants post-2030. That You will just be losing money hand over Exactly. So, but the nice thing nice thing about this is that the Vietnam in the past have done what they said they'll do. Um, they, they seem to have control of their infrastructure and of their organisations. 
They seem to have centralised control of it. When a government says we're going to do this, it has happened. Unlike India, where, where with the best will in the world, people try and make stuff happen and it gets caught up in other problems. So very probably this, um, um, what does this mean for renewables? They're going, to, they're going to increase them? Well, we've kind of already seen the shift happening. So um, this is Power Plan 8, it's called, is the future one that has this change. But actually under Power Plan 7, only about 57% of the coal or maybe it was thermal plants in general that were supposed to come online have actually come online. And meanwhile, renewables, you've seen twice what the plan expected. So in a way, this is actually a continuation of something that we're already seeing. And Vietnam had this huge solar boom in uh, this year. And really, it's, they're going to be trying to do that. So with the lost coal capacity, it is, let's see, um, they're now, so when they got rid of the 17 gigawatts of coal, which is half of the coal that they were going to add, they're now going to add an extra 7.8 gigawatts of gas, 13 gigawatts of wind, and 6 gigawatts of solar. Uh, and another little thing they're going to be doing is internal combustion engines, these, these small reactive units um, to, to fill in the gaps with the intermittent renewables. So I, I said in my piece that um, Vietnam, it's about the same GDP as India, uh, although, like you say, India is very federated and not centralized, so they, they have problems organizing things. So can Vietnam afford battery energy storage i feel like they can't at least not now well i don't think those um that those uh, other engines are going to um not much of them are going to happen they can be used for fast start um energy but at the same time um in two years by the time they come around to installing them battery will have come down in price down in price and their neighbor china will be making most of it so i you know i think you'll probably see in plan nine <laughs> or revised Plan A, um, some of that not coming to pass as well. So all of that's pretty good news for the renewables industry. The bulk of it is going to go renewables. Some gas, uh, I believe, don't believe all of that will get built, and then some uh, on their reciprocating engines, and I don't believe all of those will get, get built. Um, we did a piece on aircraft, um, and Harry did this. And i I just like to say, before you talk about Harry, I don't think the aviation industry is coming back from COVID. I, I don't think um, the the airlines will all come back. Uh, I think there'll be a mass consolidation and there'll be some attempt to, um, to, to get full planes in the air. I don't think the people supplying the planes will ever come back because the second-hand market will be full of planes um, from bankrupt airlines. I, I, I think there's nothing but bad news um, for traditional uh, manufacturer of planes. What about these hydrogen planes that you were talking about? Where, where do, you, do you see promise in those? Yeah, it's a really interesting point you bring up about the aviation industry essentially not coming back from COVID. I mean, we've already seen uh, Flyby going bust. So there's definitely going to be some sort of consolidation following COVID-19. But the reality of it is, is that air traffic is expected to increase pretty substantially over the next sort of 10, 20 years. I mean, people aren't just going to be happy to sort of stay around to their own countries uh, in the future. Um, so there will have to be some sort of innovation in the sector. Um, I had a really interesting conversation this week with uh, Val Mittag of, of Zero Avia after their company was actually highlighted as a potential future Tesla um, in our hydrogen webinar a few weeks ago. So what his company is aiming to do is to create fuel cell electric planes. Um, and they've done several pilot tests. And what they're aiming for is for by 2023 to have 
passenger planes with around 19 people able to fly commercially for around 500 miles. Obviously, when you say sort of 19 people on a, on a plane, it seems really small, but it's a fairly sizable market. Um, there's around 10,000 planes in worldwide service at the moment. And obviously, the aim would be then to sort of push up to a larger aircraft, sort of, sort of Airbus A320s, Boeing 737s, with sort of between 100 and 200 people on board. The big unseen thing here is carrying freight on the planes that we use for, for people, but also on other planes that are not used for people. And that could go. I mean, that could go anywhere. That could go into ships. It could go into um, uh, dirigibles. You know, there's a whole new industry in dirigibles that are just starting to come alive, and people are going to use hydrogen, uh, the price of falling price of hydrogen, to create dirigible um, uh, shipment networks. I, I, and they will be a few days here and there, but they'll be the same as ships. Uh, they, they won't be as fast as planes. So I, I just see. There being multiple problems, carbon tax, um, you know, on the horizon. So you, when you kind of answered that, oh, people aren't going to be content to stay where they are in the world. They're going to want to travel around. Not if the price is quadruple. And if the price is quadruple, how much reduction do you see in in, uh, in uh, air transport? I mean, if the price is quadruple, then it will it could flatten the industry completely. But the fact is that. There will be some sort of innovation along the way. I don't see that the prices will um, suddenly ramp up. And I think the amount of innovation we're seeing within fuel cell technology means that there is very much a, a point of parity that's going to be, maybe not within the next five years, but potentially within the next 10, 20 years. And I'm, I, surely that, that brings it forward. If the prices for a passenger flight increases, partly because of carbon tax, partly because of fuel issues, then, then th these types of businesses will get a chance to be disruptive earlier, I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think the um, the interesting point here is whether or not you sort of go at it in an incremental way or with loads of gumption and just doing it all in one. I mean, that's what we've seen through the uh, road transport sector is we've seen governments really pushing for sort of incremental increases, 1%, 2% here as sort of uh, internal combustion engine efficiencies. And then so a couple of years ago, we saw Tesla enter the market with a fully electric car, zero emissions, there you go. And we've seen them take the market by absolute storm, really. Um, I don't think anyone would argue that efficient combustion engines will exist in, at scale in the next 20 years. So thinking of addressing the aviation market in that way is a bit naive, I think. And it will be something that comes along like these fuel cell electric planes that does just come in 100% clean uh, to completely innovate the market in one go. But it needs a Tesla. It needs someone who convinces a financial organisation to part with several billion dollars and back it, and back it to the hilt, and go in there and be really disruptive. And this could be that company. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is where this has got big advantages over the sort of synthetic fuels that can be injected, sort of five percent, ten percent at a time. I think um, it needs to be this sort of full approach. And there are there is interest being seen. Um, Zero Avia are in discussion with several airlines, aircraft manufacturers, airports for the early deployment. Um, and the great thing about clean aviation is that the route to markets really obvious um the sort of refueling infrastructure is only ever going to have to be at airports you can start off just doing um individual routes so sort of paris to berlin doing those sort of routes where you sort of do it one at a time so it really is easy to sort of scale and really predictable sort of moving forwards i tell you what greta thunberg would fly on that plane and and there are all sorts of of uh of publicity and csr benefits from saying we don't make carbon when we fly 
uh, I think that that could um, that could trigger a, a kind of celebrity edge. To yeah, I think maybe the first plane to get Greta Thunberg on board could be the uh, could be the future Tesla of the industry. Yeah. So we, we we need to go and do a report on this. We need to do a kind of segment scenario where we look in depth at the state of aviation, look at in depth at all this, and I think that we we can get that out this side of Christmas, and and neither you or myself or or Andrews should start doing legwork on that pretty soon. I think it's a really exciting area. Uh, I just want to sign off with um, a bit of a uh, slap in the face to all of the forecasting industry out there. Wood McKenzie, uh, Bloomberg, um, New Energy Finance. Um, I keep seeing forecasts from them about the number of EVs that we're going to have by, by 2040. And they are lowballing the number. They're lowballing it deliberately to satisfy their kind of fossil fuel hungry uh, car clients. And it's mental, and it's got to stop. The um, the latest one was 323 million electric vehicles on the road by 2040. Um, that's ridiculous. If we know that when we just started doing numbers on this, that if you um, stop people from using internal combustion engines in Germany, in France, in the UK, in Italy, and in Spain, that over 200 million um, EVs will be in Europe by 2040. So. What's that? Is Europe going to be two-thirds of the whole industry? I don't think so. China won't let that happen. America won't let that happen. I, I think when you add all the numbers up again, um, and you take those facts in, that those governments will ban ICE vehicles by key dates, um, you can see that this is a 500, 600 million uh, unit market by 2040. It's half the industry. And everybody who is out there listening to those numbers just remember, you heard it here first, they are insane. The number is double what they tell you. Okay, welcome to, uh, I think that's our eighth podcast. Thank you.